Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. pre-show banter because the pre-show banter is always the best and this is pre-show Blunt's. banter there it is pre-show pre-show banter it's <laughs> a fun word to say uh yeah bleacher blunts is on and this is not our normal recording time just so that those of you who know that the, the static background i have in my in in the back of me is a little bit different and that is the difference that is bleacher blums <laughs> after dark it is 7 p.m. on the West Coast, and it is 9 p.m. on the West Coast. You have got your Harland uh, Beer Company, I think it was. Oh, and I splashed. Uh-oh. Yeah, Harland. Uh, yep, and I've got my yeah. Parish Company. I'm drinking, how about this? I don't know if you guys can read it at home, but it says American Pale Ale. So I've got my APA, so, not, uh, not the standard not IPA. So as we load up, I'm going to tell everybody that once you get done drinking your beers, make sure that you go to WSMCBD.com <laughs> and get your uh, CBD because it's all about performance and it's all about recovery and it's all about focus. Speaking of focus. Nice. That's a that good gorgeous. But uh, You act like you've done that before. Right. Several thousand yeah. times. Look at you. Oh, <laughs> Dang. Cheers, bro. All right, cheers, man. Oh, look, I got a Foo Fighters mug too. Mm. Can you see? You can't see mine, but I've got the Bleacher Blums. That's the Bleacher Blums one. Yeah, yeah, smart. Bleacher Blums mug. I have so one. We'll of deal those. with that. Oh yeah, remember that CBD I was telling you about that sponsors our podcast? They are awesome. I actually just reloaded on my soft gels because I have been taking those on a daily basis. They're a great anti-inflammatory to start my day off along with my fish oil. I've got my regimen I've got going on and uh, the vitamins to go along with that to obviously fight off the COVID that is still floating around and uh, peeking its head back out. But we know that CBD has been great for us, especially the world's strongest man, CBD. Talking before this podcast on our pre-show banter, we actually had a pretty lengthy conversation talking about how the salve has been fantastic for me and for you. You're a big fan of the cooling gel because you actually use it before you go work out and do your uh, your Murphs and your power squats and your tire flipping, right? That's right. Sledgehammer strikes, all that stuff. Dude, bro, you are a beast. But the, they're great. And I know the lotions are very good for me after I get done working out, I like sleeping all night, maybe have a crick in my neck. Then I use the salve. That's how I work it. But uh, make sure you go to WSMCBD.com. And they've actually, in the last month or so, if you actually uh, logged on there, they were given 30% off uh, your first purchase. So make sure you keep tuning in and checking them out. And uh, I'm going to do my best to learn a little bit more about CBD. And maybe later on when we have some downtime or we're looking for some topics, we'll interview somebody at uh, WSM because they know a lot more about CBD and can tell us a lot more about it. And then eventually, I think they just had a world's strongest man competition and they announced a winner and it's not Mark Cutback Davis, but uh, we'll have to have the world's strongest man on here. I think that's what I'm going to petition for and just have him take up the entire screen and tell us how he's so much stronger than all of us are. That'd be funny. Yeah. So um, I mentioned the salve earlier. I mean, I, I use it pre and post, but like you said, the, the soft gels are a good way to work. And then the salve is a good one. I guess that's a kind of pre-workout as well. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter how you get it. Uh, you just got to get it. Yeah, you got to get it. How have you been, Total? 
I know that I, I kind of screwed things up today. I actually got to see Jordan Alvarez today. So okay. I will uh, just kind of tease that a little bit. We did a segment for sports, our Academy Sports and Outdoors out here. Uh, but how have you been, man? I've been well. Um, we are, again, uh, in California going backwards here. But personally, again, <laughs> we always talk about the personal part and then what the heck is going on with the world. Uh, the personal stuff's going great. And uh, we're heading into the holiday season where it doesn't look like many families are going to travel to see other family members. So we're going to kind of have the quarantine Thanksgiving. But uh, unless you know, unless I, yeah. you're invited to French Laundry, then you can go uh, out and do whatever you want. If you're invited to French Laundry, that beautiful restaurant up in Napa, hanging out with the governor. Yeah, the governor seems to have some privileges, but uh, that we don't. But, uh, you know, the governor of Nevada was uh, kind of railing against COVID and then, oops, he caught it. So that'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I guess I guess Trump got it as well. So, um, ah, but there is good news on the COVID front. I think Pfizer did a study and they're looking much closer to uh, possibly having a vaccine, which I may or may not partake in, but I think, yeah, I mean, the rest of the world There's will feel much in the more right ready. direction. Yeah. Jeez. Totally. So, yeah, but no, everything's going great. Everything's going great. We're heading Good. into the holiday season. And I think um, as optimistic as I always was in February and March about this year might not be the worst year ever. Uh, quickly in <laughs> July, I realized it was the worst year ever. And now we're about, let's see seven weeks from it all being over. I mean, there's what, 70 more days in the, in the uh, year. I know it's amazing oh, to no. think about. And I'm 45 days left in the year. What are we talking about? Man, I got to do some shopping, dude. The freaking Christmas is coming Ooh. up quick, man. Christmas, yeah. Hey, and you're almost back and you guys have been going to school and you actually had soccer practice tonight, if I remember correctly. Yes. So that's good news, man. Well, we've kind of had that going all along. I mean, California, I mean, Club soccer is not maybe under the same kind of guise as everybody else, but, uh, you know, I, I, I feel bad. This is really funny. Now I don't mean to get too serious, but I feel bad that, you know, a lot of people have been affected by this, um, financially as well, losing jobs, things like that. But, um, you know, I guess, so I feel respectful, meaning what we talked about before, where you wear a mask in public and you do these things, but personally, you know, I'm not sure how susceptible we are all to it. I'm not sure uh, how serious it is if, you know, a person below the age of 65, 70 gets it. So, you know, and then you're fighting your kind of, we've talked about this throughout the podcast, you're fighting that urge to just be normal anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I guess personally, if you sit down and start looking at it all, it probably seems a little wacky, but yeah, we've had soccer practice. The kids are at school. Um, you know, I talked to the neighbors out in this cul-de-sac. It's like, I don't know. I mean, aside from working from home, I think everything seems pretty fairly normal. Tell That's me good. about, I know you were teasing the Yordan thing. Tell me about how you do a studio thing like that. Do they, cause all the shows like the NFL shows, they got these guys sitting far apart and they got plexiglass. Like no, you met with Yordan. Good Yordan's already had his injury troubles. Like mm -hmm. Jeff Blum does not want to give Yordan COVID before the next <laughs> yeah, season be starts. Guy. Right. So how did that Dude. go? No, that's a good point. You know, we actually had a like a promotional uh, commercial slash shoot kind of, uh, you know, video that's going to be coming out here pretty soon. And it's kind of funny that you bring that up because it was one of the precautions. It was actually one of the last phone calls that the uh, the marketing team made before we actually started taping this was, hey, should we have their masks on? And granted, we were outside. Um, we were going to, we were, as we were social distancing, I did get a little bit close to him as I was walking through the, uh, the, the actual shoot, but, um, 
they, they told us to keep it on. So we have our masks on. So we, you know, we, we obliged and, you know, I'm, I'm not the guy that's like, Oh, anti-mask, you know, we are infringing on my rights kind of thing. I'm just more or less, Hey man, if it, if it allows me to do more and be a more communal and be outside and, and like you said, whatever normal is, we're trying to figure that out. If it allows me to just be a little more free, man, I'll put the mask on. I've got no problem with that. I'm not the never masker uh, type guy, but uh, it's also interesting that going back to the Houston Open, I was when I worked it. I was it was outside, gorgeous, minimal fans, and I had to I had to wear a mask, and that was just out of respect to the players that were playing without the mask because they are in the right to be in that bubble. And I, you know, I was fortunate and grateful enough to be around those guys. And they said, "Hey, if you're going to do this, wear a mask." I was like, Psh, "Write me, a, I'm in. I'll wear a mask, whatever you need to do, and uh, keep my distance." But yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now is, uh, you know, just making it function the best we can. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, it has to do with the mask on. Yeah, and I think the mask is fine. I was just curious about the shoot, but it's great. It's respectful. I like watching the AT&T commercial where the lady's talking, you know, the script and right at the bottom in that big screen, it says, yeah. <laughs> "This com- please wear a mask when you come into our store. This commercial was made, you know, very responsibly. And you're like, all right, great. Like, hadn't thought about it until you put the disclaimer. And I'm like, all right. So they because you know, you're not that guy one... on Twitter that's going, they didn't wear a mask, oh my god, and then they just yeah, shame them but... to death on social media. Exactly. So that's what I mean. They're covering their ass. But uh, I got a funny story related to that. I was at the gym yesterday, and our gym has it hasn't gone backwards. We're still keeping social distance. You know, I mean, the sheriff had talked to them about not enforcing or enforcing things. Oh, you're on number two already. What the? Yeah, I'm going. I'm working out. What is it? What is it? And I'll tell we're you. Go, we're going after. with St. Arnold's uh, Christmas ale because we're Ooh. even close. This Dude, is gonna be really Christmas different. ale. My neighbors, it's not even Thanksgiving yet, and they've already put up their Christmas lights, and you're drinking Christmas ale. Like, you you guys, man. Our tree's it's, up. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. Are you a Thanksgiving lover? No, I just, you know, I mean, I am. I Christmas love can only be, Christmas can only be, you know, so long. Like, you know, I went into, <laughs> cheers. I went into the Home Depot uh, in the middle of October and they had the Halloween stuff right here and all the Christmas stuff right next to it. <laughs> so no, like, all right. Halloween and Christmas, there is no more Thanksgiving. That's right. I mean, they had already phased it out on the wall. Um, I am able to keep my train of thought now, but I wanted to uh, mention that uh, there was a guy at my gym. What are, you, what are you doing? Guy honked outside. My dogs are going nuts. Uh, okay. uh, we can't hear anything. Yeah. You're having a beer, a Christmas ale that probably has some sort of like, uh, let me guess, like some cinnamon hint in it's there. A little, it's a little spicy. It's a little spicy. Mm, that is good. That is rich and Christmas robust. ale. Just, you know what they should do is just make Coors Light and then call it Christmas ale. You're like, this is great. Yeah. Just I mean, why do they have to make it look it. like, <laughs> but they have like, you know, they've got to put like a little hint of rosemary and we have a little nutmeg in there. Ooh, and you're like, nutmeg. <laughs> Yeah. I just want to drink a beer. Why does it have to be a Christmas ale? <laughs> Why does it have to be you know, a Douglas like fir on my tongue? Spice latte. You know how many pumpkin spice lattes I've had in my life? Zero. Zero. And I like Thanksgiving. What's and guess how many I'm going to have? Zero. Yeah, zero. Um, so I'm at the gym and one of the trainers there, one of the uh, coaches had just gotten back. He got engaged and went up to Michigan to visit his fiance's family. Coming back into LAX yesterday or two days ago. And they almost had to veer the plane from Michigan, land it in Minnesota because there was some a-hole, some idiot on the plane that didn't want to wear his mask. But what, on, what, what happened to me, he was like, dude, we're going to have to land the plane. You won't wear your mask. And he was on Delta and 
you know, not, it wasn't like he was on spirit and you know they were just going to throw haymakers, <laughs> no but so he's on Delta and, uh, but the trainer's telling the story, the coach is telling the story. And I, you know, I go to the gym early. It's like six in the morning, five 30 in the morning. And we're sitting there nobody's talking. We're stretching, we're doing our thing. And I just like piped up, you know, just like I would on the podcast. I'm like, what the hell is this guy's problem? I wasn't even on the plane, but I'm like on an airplane, you have to, you know, put your seat in its upright position. You got to put your tray table up. You know, you can't smoke like you're already following like 900 rules yes. on the airplane. Put on your frigging mask, like put it on. Like, why do you follow all the rules and be like, no, but I'm not going to wear a mask on this airplane. And, you know, if we have to land in St. <laughs> Paul, then so be it. Like you a-hole, like just put on your mask and shut up. And I guess without tying him to his chair, they forced him to put his mask on and he did. But I mean. What's wrong with people? If you were like the guy on a, you know, with like, you know, you got your tray table down and your seats back and you're smoking a cigarette and you're in like row 10 <laughs> and they tell you to put on a mask, at least there's some consistency there. Like, you know, yeah. like Mr. Belushi, uh, you're going to have to, you know, put your mask on. It's like, it. <laughs> you know, land in the plane, you know, oh, I just, dude. can you hey. believe that story? Like what a, what a, hey, man. what an idiot. This day and age. The needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Okay, dude, it's about me. That's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, that's a little ridiculous for me. And, and you know that going in. On a plane full of 100 people. Yeah, if, if that, and you're doing it in November, you're do, even if you're doing it in, what, June or July, you've already done this for three, four months. You know the routine. You're wearing a mask. Everybody on the <laughs> planet's wearing a mask. It's, by the time you get to November and you're on a plane, you're like, mask i'm not gonna wear a mask are you kidding yeah. me what what an idiot but like you said he probably buckled up he was there at the appropriate time he turned he probably turned off his cell phone at the appropriate time ah. but he's like i'm not gonna put on the mask what? my cell phone's on airplane mode but i am not gonna put on a mask you know the other the other part of that's crazy is you start thinking about all these things we've seen over the past crazy eight months nine months but uh that guy in costco that was like man i thought i woke up in a free country and his wife's like, honey, go wait in the car. Give me the Costco card. And like she put on the mask. He's like, oh, like, all right. Like he was yeah. going to try and make a stand at the Costco thing. And He's he got just a gets blown by. <laughs> Mama's like, I'm like, out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people are just, you know, they never cease to amaze. So, all right, Blummer. So we're on, you're on beer number oh, yeah. two. I'm on beer number one. Let's, uh, let's actually get to some topics. We've been doing a lot of golf talk, which we have some other things to talk about golf because I'm curious um to know how you looked into your crystal ball and picked out dj but there was a woman hired as the first general manager in baseball and um i wanted to kind of see what you thought about that and i see your your little yeah. golf clap your applause well and this is this is where you and i kind of come together as dads you know you have twin daughters i have triplet daughters and an older daughter so i've got four daughters between the between the two of us we have six daughters so the coolest part about about the about Kim Ng getting hired by the Florida or the Miami Marlins, I believe, uh, not the Florida Marlins anymore, getting hired by the Miami Marlins to be their GM. the disabled list or the injured list because I get that confused too. So yeah. Miami Marlins, Florida Marlins, injured list, disabled list. Like I mean, yeah, I mean it's, potato, it's just, potato. It's all changing and it's all very tough to keep up with. But the, the best part about Kim getting hired by the Miami Marlins to be the, the GM of a Major League Baseball team was the fact that my daughters sent me the, the post that was on Instagram. 
So I was pretty excited about that because you know as well as I do that I think women have to work a little bit harder than men do just overall to get a, to fight for a job. And then to get a job within a male-driven sport, uh, you know, it, it, at this level, because a general manager is basically the face of the franchise who makes all the moves, all the signings, all the drafting, is overseeing all of this. And then obviously the 25-man roster that is going out and trying to compete on a daily basis. So she has got incredible authority now. She's got incredible privilege and, and respect around the league. And there's going to be a lot of it expected of her, but it was just great to see that my daughters were paying attention to this uh, because we're always trying to give them examples of women who have, have, have broken through or women who have succeeded or fought through a lot of the mess and, and hierarchy that is in in life in general but then you add the the baseball aspect to it so that was pretty exciting for me and it was great to sit down with them and talk to them a, a little bit about it help them understand what was going on but it's not until you actually like dig in and read some of the articles about her i mean she was hired in 1990 do you realize how long it's been since she got hired and now she's a general manager it is 2020 so it has been 30 years since she has been in the game and she finally got the job. So, I mean, there's something to be said for perseverance. I like the fact that somebody actually wrote an article and said that she's a little bit of old school. So you do kind of appreciate that in this new analytic age we're in. And uh, she started what with the White Sox in 1990 was the Yankees uh, assistant GM, the Dodgers assistant GM. She first interviewed for a GM job in 2005 with the Dodgers before they hired Ned Coletti. And now she's 15 years, what, 15 years after 2005, she is now the general manager of the Miami Marlins. And I couldn't be more excited because we've seen it in the NBA with referees. We've seen it in the NBA, in the NFL with referees and coaches, coordinators. And now we've seen, a, what, three coaches, I think, in Major League Baseball and now a general manager. And, you know, and this has been a sport that has been male dominated. And I think it is a great thing. How did you, how did you take the news and what were your thoughts on it? Yeah. So when I got out of baseball, I had the good fortune to go to a couple of winter meetings, uh, working with an agent and I uh, got to meet her and have some conversations oh, with her. Great. So that's, yeah. I mean, so this is weird. I'm going to take a step back because I think I, I, I probably did it publicly on here, but if I didn't, I guess I should come clean, but you know, um, Jessica Mendoza is not my favorite commentator in baseball mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's not because she's a woman, but I do find, it's not even the, the, the genuine nature of it, but, you know, she's talking about, you know, how guys, what their two strike approach is and what the nasty slider feels like. And I'm just thinking, you know, softball, baseball, you know, it doesn't mean you can't learn it and be intelligent about it, which Jessica is totally um, mm -hmm. qualified and um, understands the game, but it almost feels sometimes a little, um, a little forced, if that makes sense. And so, I mean, that's just how I feel and I'll be sincere and maybe she would disagree and, you know, maybe her colleagues would disagree, but at listening to it, it just falls differently on my ear. And maybe that's because I've been ingrained in baseball um, as you have uh, for a long time, but Kim Ng differently, like you said, not just paying her dues, but, you know, obviously women are, in my opinion, you know, much smarter than men in many ways. And I think in a male driven industry, it's very rare only in the, in the sense that, um, that they're just typically not interested in that stuff. Like my wife could care less why, yeah. you know, so-and-so is throwing a three, two slider, but Kim Ng has been in baseball for a long time, understands the game, um, has more than paid her dues, 
but I feel like it falls on the ears better in the sense that you don't have to play the game and throw a nasty slider, hit the nasty slider to comment on it um, or to understand it, I should say, but to comment on it, maybe that's where I, that's where, that's why Jessica misses the mark for me. But I mean, looking at numbers and looking at analytics and eyeing talent and doing all that stuff that Kim has done for the past 30 years, she's more than qualified to be doing this. And, um, and I think as you already touched on, it's a really good example to set. I mean, and it's yeah. nice because we talk about how old school baseball is and the football still has the Rooney rule and you have like one or two African-American coaches in the NFL when, you know, 90% of the players, 80% of the players are African-American, like that doesn't make any sense to me. And so you have baseball, which is kind of like, ah, those guys live in the, you know, the past, they got these old time scouts and they got these mm -hmm. old, Hey, baseball is, you know, they're, they're kicking down some doors and, and uh, making a new mark. And I, I can only say that I think Kimming is uh, more than qualified and I, I would not put it past her to be successful with the Marlins. Yes, I, I completely, I think it's a great situation for her with Miami. I just hope that Derek Jeter and ownership over there realizes the talent they have and they actually let her go do what she needs to do because that's an organization that I wouldn't, you can't say they're failing you know, there's still an organization, but when they, when they open the doors on their stadium next time, they've got to put a team out there that's going to draw some of that Miami fan base back in. And that's where I think that Kim Ng is actually going to be in a very good spot to be able to maybe get her hands on it a little bit. And I would say just let her go because she's been around the game so long and she understands it so well that I think that she probably has her eyes on some players, uh, not just currently, but also in the future that, you know, maybe draft situations where they can pick up some players. Right. But let her go do her thing. And I think that's a real opportunity for Derek Jeter also, you know, part of that ownership group to just say, here, here, you're here for a reason, go. And uh, I think, uh, you know, what you said about the NFL is it was, was a very good thing with the Rooney rule. I don't get that either. That is a whole nother podcast that I would love to have a conversation with somebody inside because like you said, what, you know, 60, 70% of the, of the teams are, african-american yet there's only you know two or three head coaches that's yeah. uh, that is bizarre to me um more than qualified but you know this is a great opportunity and i really hope that she is able to run with it and you know what's funny in talking about you know people who you know i'm kind of curious what took so long to get kim in this position because you know you can't this day and age you can't say oh it's because she's a woman well i tell you what when Jeff Luno got a job in the front office, guess what? He came from a bean counting, mar you know, bean counting, you know, market firm on Wall Street. He had no baseball experience. What what makes him different than Kim in that sense? He's a man, and that's probably you know that's how he got in. I don't. But that's there's really no difference. She might be more qualified baseball wise than Jeff Luno or some of these other guys ever were before they got their jobs. Oh, I, I would agree. And, and that, that's always the first, right? The first is always like, I mean, Jackie Robinson and, mm -hmm. um, you know, situations like that. She, the women have to work, as you already pointed out, that much harder. And I think that's what the great part about this is for our daughters to see that, look, if this is what you're interested in, which Kim obviously has been for her whole life, but she wanted to be in, involved in baseball, then yeah. this is a great opportunity. And I think you said something that really, um, kind of doesn't relate to you know if you're a man or a woman or otherwise but you said let her do her job and I think that that's what we see we already talked about the hiring of Tony La Russa and not to you know belabor that point again but 
you know, the GM was not involved in that hiring. The president of baseball operations was not really involved in that hiring. You had the owner kind of jump the shark and hire them. I mean, if Don Mattingly, who did have some success this year, and I believe if Mike Hill is still the president in Miami, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he's moving mm-hmm. on or, and I, I, I know Michael Hill a little bit as well. I mean, if Derek Jeter and Michael Hill trust her to be the right choice for the business, then they got to let her do her job. They can't undermine it. They can't say that this was just a trial. They can't do this. Like you said, if she wants to trade some of the players or, I mean, let the GM do what they're supposed to do. And I think we've seen that with successful teams. I mean, gosh, Brian Cashman did it for years with the George Steinbrenner. You know, he kind of knew how to manage up or manage down. Like, hey, I can control this (laughs) guy. I'll worry about all this. Let Kim, who's been around the game, like you said, hired first in 1990. She's been around the game for 30 years. Give her this opportunity, but let her, you know, be any GM that that you would have hired. No, I'm with you on that. So we on on Bleacher Blums right here. We are wishing Kim Ng nothing but the best, and uh, I can't wait to see what actually unfolds a little bit uh, because it's a young team. They've got productive talent. They've got a great manager in place in Don Mattingly. So go ahead and let that let that thing loose, and let's go have some fun. Let's watch and see, and hopefully that opens up some more opportunities down the line for females within the front offices, which there is, there's a several, I believe Baltimore's got a couple in theirs, but uh, hopefully this is a bright future. And I think it's, it's, it's good for baseball in itself too, just to have a little bit different voice, maybe be present in, in baseball right now, because the analytics, if you watch the world series, like we did, we saw the analytics take over and we've seen analytics maybe tarnish baseball or change baseball just enough to where we kind of question is this the product we want on the field tim kirkshin was one of those guys that railed on analytics as ruling ruining baseball and uh theo epstein which was big news uh resigning from the chicago cubs i thought was an unbelievably now that i've read some of the quotes it was actually a courageous move on his part to speak out and maybe speak against the grain a little bit of what's happening in baseball. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is, I didn't, I'm not sure I picked up the vibe they were laying down. I know he and Jed have worked together closely for a long, long time, but what's the, what's the gist of what he's doing? I mean, I kind of think from an outsider's perspective and I, and I'm curious to hear what you'll say. I mean, he, he can write his own ticket. Now he took the Red Sox to the world series championship. He broke two curses. That's right. So, you know, he said he wanted to spend some time with family and, you know, maybe he kind of wore out his welcome or they wore uh, his welcome out in Chicago, which seems hard to believe when he's done what he's done. But uh, boy, when he decides to come back in, uh, I'm sure he'll be able to have control of a franchise again. But what's the what do you what's the mood or what's the theme of what you're hearing? So uh, the the underlying issue in baseball right now is has analytics not ruined baseball, but it's, has it changed baseball for the better or for the worse? And you're going to get arguments on both sides. You can evaluate talent maybe a little bit better with the analytics, but in-game decision-making and in-game play, has it changed the game enough to where it's not entertaining anymore? It's not bringing in that young fan. It's not allowing more players to, to play the game of baseball. When you and I played, the leadoff guy was a little guy that could run fast and be pesky and get on base. The number two guy – uh, in the lineup was a guy who, uh, you know, could, could move hit the run, baseball, yeah, hit the, control, yeah, yeah, move the baseball around, lay down a bunt, 
three, four, five, six, your RBI producers, seven, eight, nine, were just, you know, role player guys that maybe manipulated the ball a little bit to get back to the middle part of the order. But the argument for retired guys or guys who, who have kind of moved on a little bit, or they say are old school are kind of like, how do you marry the analytics to the eye test? Because the eye test in the world series with, with Snell said, leave him in and let him pitch and see what happens instead of taking him out because of the third time through the batting order. But there was a great quote. It's a little bit long. I screenshotted it because it was so good from Theo Epstein. It kind of touches on that. And that's why it kind of sparked the idea for me. And it, he said, this is Theo Epstein. It is the greatest game in the world, but there are some threats to it because of the way the game is evolving. And, I, and he takes responsibility. He says, I take hmm. responsibility for that because executives like me who have spent a lot of time using analytics and other measures to try to optimize individual team performance have unwittingly had a negative impact on the aesthetic value of the game. And that's what you and I are always talking about, the beauty of guys being able to make pitches, the beauty of guys being able to make adjustments and extend their outings or maybe have a better at bat. So he uh, says the value of the game and the entertainment value of the game, because when you're watching, I'll just read it. I mean, clearly, you know, the strikeout rates are a little out of control. Okay, that's where it kind of hit me. I was like, you're right. This three true outcome game is not fun. It's like playing over the line in our front yard. You know, exactly. you, it's either you get a hit, you get out, or you go home. You know, it's, yeah. it's, so I appreciate the fact that he actually brought that up and kind of exposed what everybody was thinking in their minds, but didn't have the guts to say it. But for him, like you said, to have the credibility and the voice that he has and say that out loud, tells you that he's actually thinking about the game, which I greatly appreciate. And when he does move on, like you said, he's going to be successful no matter where he goes. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if he takes that to heart. Like if he wants to take like a sabbatical year or two years and decide like, all right, yeah, analytics are part of the game, but I don't really love the three true outcomes. Maybe I'm smart enough to figure out a way to use the analytics that yeah, I maybe. like and change the game back to something that's different. I mean, I always felt like, and I don't think I'm the only one, but boy, everybody was enamored with Moneyball and the theory behind it because it was so, uh, it was well-written, of course, but just the idea uh, that Billy Bean had was to, um, you know, take a small market team and make them competitive. But what happened, and we've talked about this too, is the Red Sox, who have a kind of an enormous payroll, used the <laughs> Billy Bean, you know, method, but then were able to pay the best guys in that method. And the so Dodgers too. The, the Dodgers did it this year, doing the same thing absolutely. you're talking about. Dodgers have done it. We've seen a bunch of teams do it now. I mean, we could probably go from 2004 on up to now, 16 years. There's at least mm -hmm. four or five, six, seven teams. Whether they want it all or not, it's a whole nother thing. We've talked about chemistry and the eyeball test. But boy, when you take that money ball uh, mentality and that money ball theory and you have an unlimited payroll like the Yankees, the Red Sox, Dodgers do, um, you're going to see some success in that. And I think that Theo for sure utilize that to his advantage. Um, but now maybe because he's had success and, you know, he has nothing left to prove, um, you know, maybe he goes back into too. the, yeah, you can say this when you've accomplished all this. Yeah. That's Great right. Call. You go back into the laboratory. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, we don't need that house up and, you know, uh, on the ocean, but let's buy it and let's, you know, look at the ocean every day. I mean, he doesn't have anything left to prove, but when he comes back to baseball, maybe he's going to be in his laboratory for the next year or two thinking of a way to That's make it more, uh, marketable and more aesthetically pleasing, but yet competitive at the same time. That'd be a really cool thing. 
That, that is a very interesting point. Maybe that is, it, there's got to be motivation behind it because he's young enough to know that he has had his impact on the game. And again, one of those articles I read said that he is already a Hall of Fame GM. Yeah. And it would be really tough to argue that with the success he's had in breaking two curses between the Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. It's just, where is he going to land next? Where is he going to, and that's part of it too. His idea of what he wants the game to be, where is he going to be able to find the opportunity to make that happen? That's and that, that'll be the interesting thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of making things happen, uh, Robinson Cano oh, yeah. did not make it happen. No. Dude, he boxed it. What are we doing? He, did, he, he, took, he, took, he started a bonfire in his backyard and took $24 million $1 bills and set them on fire. Well, that'll be burning all year. <laughs> yeah, that, that will <laughs> be the eternal flame. That'll yeah, be your, your yeah, the bangle. Is it the bangles? Uh, yeah, the yeah. bangles. Nice. Very not good. We're the same. As, ooh, not my favorite yeah. song, though. We talk about karaoke, too, man. That's I'm right. in karaoke mode right in now. In the Let's green go. room. In the green room, we talked about karaoke. I forgot <laughs> about that. <laughs> we, had, we didn't tell the fans that we have a Bleacher Blums green room. I forgot about that. That is man. true. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. We need to release some of those, man. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, again, you know, fool me once, shame on me, right? Fool me twice, you know, something like that. And he like was taking, no. like, Stanisol or something. He wasn't taking, like some masking aid. I mean, he took yeah. like a full blown steroid and was like, I'm going in. So yeah, like at least tell everybody what Ramirez, happened though. I mean, no, no, I was, was done. When, yeah. At least when Manny Ramirez took it, he, uh, <laughs> it, it was, he was pregnant or something, right. He showed up pregnant. He had estrogen. Yeah. It's like, all right, at least we know what he's trying to do. Um, yeah. So, you know, let's, let's tell the folks where we're at. So Robinson Cano is a two time offender. Oh, two time. Um, I, yeah. Two time. Oh, two time. I think it's 60 games. It's a season and then it's lifetime. Am I right? Am I close? You, you are correct, sir. Two, How about that? The count is 0 and 2. See, I just, I mean, it just sticks in my head. People will say, you and Blummer sound great. You guys know all this stuff. I mean, look, we played long enough. It's like, I already know. I, I haven't even been in the game long enough to, I mean, I wasn't even around when the punishments were handed down. Steroids were legal when we yeah. played as far as we knew. But 60 games, full season, lifetime ban. He is one more pop away from uh, the lifetime ban, but I will say at the age of 37, 38, he's lighting his eternal flame with 24 million bucks. Who is going to sign a guy who's 39 years old and he's taken steroids twice? Well, which means he's probably been taking it for the last 10 years. Yeah, you're, I think you're onto something here. He hasn't got caught. <laughs> you never know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, oh, Here's a here's a little sidebar. Let me have another sip of beer for this one. Oh wait. So they okay. drug tested in the NBA. They drug tested for marijuana wait, wait, on a wait. specific day. This this they, isn't a COVID test. What are you doing? <laughs> they drug tested on a specific day. That's exactly so. All the the you NBA just have to guys know when, like, what day it was. No, no, it wasn't even a random day. It was like, all right, look, spring uh, the the season ends or the training camp start in whatever November. We're going to test everybody on November 10th for marijuana. So guess what? Just, all right, let's stop. And then what November 11th, baby, like, you know, it was like, yeah, it was like 420. It was like, <laughs> it was like April 20th. I mean, but I'm only but laughing because I don't know what that date means. Yeah. Right. There you go. But I'm just saying, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I mean, CBD is great. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a cannabis uh, consumer otherwise. 
but um anymore um without the thc i should say um <laughs> i'm okay but the uh but the point is is that like they know when the date is but if you're taking it like you said i think you know you're joking about being on to something but it's like you know, yeah, you might not know when you're going to get tested, but if you're taking it all the time, you got to be very careful. And especially if you have one strike against you, but anyway, I just $24 million. How many, does he, I don't care how much money you have. That is a crap ton of money, man. Yeah. And how much, how much, like, uh, how much time does he have left on? Is this the last year of his contract? He or? might have one more year. Cause I know it was a 10 year so, deal with Seattle and that was six years. To, yeah. He might be one or two but he's going to get paid anyway. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. So he could just retire after net. Well, he can't retire. You can't officially that's say it. retire because then the contract no. is void. But yeah. I mean, there's ways to be like, Hey, you know what? Just put me on the injured list. Yeah. Hey, I feel good. Just pay me my money. So, yeah. but $24 million, doesn't matter if he's going to get 24 the next year. Wow. You're cranking them out. Yeah. Art car IP. I came prepared, man. Yeah, Art car nice. IPA Art to finish car. things off. If we if we don't finish this podcast before I finish this, well, I may, I'm gonna get up and leave. No, yeah, no, no, no. I no, I'm with you. We got to be done at some point. Um, uh, anyway, so Robinson Cano stuff, lost though, man. twenty four million bucks. Twenty four million dollars. Yeah, jeez, and like he's a lot of doubt. So, God, and we played through the steroid era, man. I mean, both of you. I think I I think that both of us, both of you, both of us. I take a have group, another one. Yeah, I am. Woo! Wow. That was a sound bite right there. All right. Um, I think both uh, both of us really, I don't know if we've ever talked about it either. I mean, we kind of hinted at it, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that I played during the steroid era and didn't do steroids. I mean, I've talked about, I've done greenies. I've, you know, I've done things like that. But as far as getting to the point where I said I needed to do steroids, whether it be you know, if, if I did steroids, I would have had a hundred home runs. Whoop de do, you know, would that have been game changing or career changing for me? I, I don't know because what, what if it, oh man, I was just freaked out of the side effects, whether it be the roid rage or how my muscles were going to react or, you know, I've heard about guys spines, you know, they break in their vertebrae because their muscles are pulling, you know, joints apart there's so many variables that go in there that it just freaked me out. But I, I think it's safe to say that both you and I took a lot of pride in the sense that we did play when we did during that era and did not do it. And the more I hear guys still continuing to try and do it blows my mind. Yeah. And my, you know, my, my family and friends were a little more um, adamant about it than I was when they found out everybody was doing it and I wasn't uh this is pretty much after I was done I guess and I and I've said this on the podcast before I'm not as frustrated with the other guys I'm more frustrated that you know somebody like Greg Maddox who is a great pitcher um that I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to outsmart these guys that were like taking steroids and stuff. And I don't mean outsmart, but you know what I mean? Like, Hey, no, but there's I a certain amount of stubbornness to it too, yeah. you know, because yeah. you didn't, you probably didn't have as much knowledge as Greg Maddox did about what was going on. So you didn't know how to yeah. combat it. You were like, man, I'm right. going to try harder instead yeah. of try smarter, you right. know, whereas like, Greg Maddox was in the, in the arena and he's going, okay, I got to be smarter about this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was less kind of um, in the big leagues. It was certainly less, uh, um, private, I guess, for lack of a better word. But, uh, you know, the minor leagues guys were trying to get on the roster, the 40 man roster. They were trying to do things. And you were like, they were not about to tell you what was going on because they're competition for jobs. Get yeah. there. Right. 
Whereas, hey, if we're all rowing the boat in the same direction to win a world championship, what do you care if I hit 50 home yeah, runs? I'm taking or... this. Do you want to try it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So right. that's a really good point. And no, we never talked about that. But I, I was. I was more frustrated or more frustrated, you know, in hindsight that I wasn't able to figure it out kind of how to how to outsmart these guys or how to get them out or how to use it to my advantage. That's really what it is. Like, you know, I told you people mm-hmm. always talk yeah. about recovery with steroids. They always talk about how far guys hit the ball or that their arm, you know, they could throw the ball harder. Well, I, I would mean, imagine for from, pitchers, it's the recovery, keeping that arm it healthy. Was, it was, but, but again, you don't know how your muscles are going to react. The True. thing that sticks out of my mind, and this is only a gut feeling was that I felt like, and this again is hindsight that what I lost was like half the plate, right? Cause I threw a hard sinker and you want to get guys out of way. When you scared guys off the plate, they got right back in where they were before. And we see it now in yeah. today's game. And that, I felt like that was a testosterone thing. That was like, you know what? Keep throwing the ball in here, man. They put on a big elbow pad and they stand well, they're right built on the like mountains. So what's going to yeah. affect them? And guess what? Like you, like throwing inside didn't back them off the plate. Man. It didn't yeah. stand them upright. And I feel like that, that's what my gut tells me. It was like, all right, this is what I've been doing my whole life. I'm backing guys off the plate and then I can work the ball away. And you get into AAA where, um, you know, Vegas is one of the cities. Um, Albuquerque is another city. I mean, the ball is flying anyway. Tucson was like a hundred degrees and pretty good elevation. Ball flew out of there and my too. point isn't like excuses about how you pitch home runs, but it's like, look, if you can't back the guy off the plate and he gets good solid contact, I mean, you know, the ball is flying all over the place. So anyway, um, the steroid thing, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I never took them and, and doing CrossFit now is really funny because there's not a lot of competitive, um, uh, I guess competitive enhancers. There are not a lot of guys doing steroids and like HGH and CrossFit, but friends of mine are like, Hey, you're in the 50 and older category. Like you should juice up and like, see what you could do. And I'm like, (laughs) if I did not juice up when I was like, when it meant something getting, when when i was one step away from getting paid you will not see me juicing up yeah, that i promise you that so anyway it is it's a funny you know comment some of these people don't know my background either but it's like yeah I, it's not about to happen so and i, and I am proud of that fact so i think either we be. were raised right or we were just uh um just too stubborn and scared so College ball players, man. There was too much going on up here that we were thinking about, and I also think you have to think a little bit more long term too. I don't, you know, I don't know if you ever had the thought, but I always imagined, you know, the first couple of years I was in the big. You know, it took me a while to get to the big leagues, and I was like, man, if I'd have done it, would I have gotten there quicker? And then once I got in, would I have gotten more money? Would I have gotten better contract? Whatever. But yeah, yeah. by the end of it, the ultimate question was knowing that we were playing in the steroid era, we were going to get the question, did you play clean or did you play dirty? Yeah. And yeah. I just wanted to be the clean guy. That's all I wanted. Yeah. How about that? It's a very simple question and yeah. a simple answer, I should say. And and one last thing on that, and because it is a good, um, it is a good point is that, um, you know, you, you get raised, like if somebody else is jumping off the bridge, like, would you do it? But, um, but I think, I also want to be clear, like my mom is always like, well, Barry Bonds, he, you know, he was an ass anyway. I mean, he, he like guys that play with him, they didn't like him. But Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame baseball player before yeah. he ever found the clear and the clean True. or HGH. Um, Mark McGuire, I don't know, Sosa, those guys were kind of power hitters. But, you know, I mean, Roger Clemens was a Hall of Fame pitcher before he ever found steroids as well. Do we all think he did it? Absolutely. Um, Barry Bonds did it. Yep. So should they be banished for life? Like, look, 
if Dave Tuttle took steroids and he was a, you know, a fringe, you know, triple a major league professional pitcher, do I think I would have been Roger Clemens? Absolutely not. So I never want to come across like, Oh yeah, well, you know, if I juiced up, you mentioned the more money in your contracts would have gotten there faster. All those things cross your mind, but you know, yeah, you don't know, but come on. I mean, Barry Bonds was a fantastic baseball player his whole entire life. So, you know, he added steroids, which gave him, you know, more power, but I don't want people to ever think it's like, well, you know, you know, kind of like the guys you talk to when they find out you played. Really? You played? Oh, that's funny because I, <laughs> I was a hell of a ball player. And then, you know, in high school, I blew out my rotator cuff. And you're like, dude, yeah, I'm sure you were as good as I was. You were just right on the, you know, like, I know I sound like that guy, but it's like, come on. It's so funny, like, though, because that's the internal People dialogue. find out, like, come on, God, that sounds so familiar. Were you I, San Diego, I think? Yeah. yeah, San Diego. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was a hell of a ball player. I played high school ball in San Diego. Yeah. You know, I had a good yeah. left handed swing and then I, I got I hit, hit 500 in my 1A, um, my 1A division team. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. You were almost there. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. So, <laughs> anyway, so I don't want to sound like that guy by saying, well, if I did steroids, you know, me and Roger Clemens, man, we would be in the same boat. But by the same I've token, I've never had that great. conversation. I've never been the, I mean, I, and I've never heard you say it. I've never been the guy like, gosh, if I had only done steroids. Oh. No, no, <laughs> nobody no, ever no. says that. No, no, that's a really good point. That's a good point. I don't know. CJ Nikowski might say it. No, I'm kidding. Oh boy, we'll have I to don't. See no, no, and ask him. No, I'm, I'm kidding. kidding. We should. We should ask him. I'm. I'm curious because he his fear wasn't the health um, of his arm and everything. His fear was federal prosecution. If you ever ask him. Well, I mean, that's really, a whole other layer of it. I mean, that's right. He didn't yeah, have yeah, to go in front of Congress. It. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. But that was his fear. Like, hey, we didn't get called in front of Congress. Anyway, so oh, man. all right, we belabored this. We turned this into a steroid conversation, but I think it was valuable. And people one. will now know what we. Uh, well, and you and you just to just kind of give the, it, the the Hall of Fame ballot has come out. So that it, it constantly. I mean, how how long before the Hall of Fame ballot comes out before we stop talking about steroids? Yeah. So steroids are here. We played through it. We have experience with it, and it's on the Hall of Fame ballot again. I would vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in a heartbeat. Yeah, I have no and I've will. said that before. And yeah. mainly, I mean, as selfish as it sounds, not selfish, as silly as it sounds, I would vote for them because I thought they were Hall of Famers, you know, beforehand. That's all. It's not like the Pete Rose situation, like what he did. But I mean, you know, just Barry. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, is that a, is that a stupid thing to say? I would just vote for them because they were fantastic baseball players. I just thought they were badasses. I mean, when you talk about the Hall of Fame, who do you talk about? You talk about badasses who are in there. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's the only and, thing. For you know, me. Barry Bonds was a badass, right? That's what I'm yeah. saying. Before he took steroids, and I've had, I, I, I've had lengthy conversations with Barry about hitting. I've had lengthy conversations with Roger Clemens about pitching, and these guys are fascinating and phenomenal athletes. But their minds, oh my gosh, the the way they spoke about their at bats and the way they spoke about how they approached pitching were. It, it was off the charts. You know, it was it was a lot of fun to talk to those guys, and that's what I appreciate, and that's. All I know is what they did on the field, man. And right. I just thought they were great. But why? But why? So then this is good. This is good. So why? Not why writers have a hard time putting him in because that's like a peer community thing. Like who's going to put him in? Who's not? But why? Because writers I mean, are would purists. You, yeah, God. I know. But what? But but I'm just saying, like, are we 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 played the game clean? Why don't we hold them to a higher standard? I guess is the point. Like, why aren't you like, mm-hmm. you know what? 
is it for what I just said and that, that we thought they were Hall of Fame talent beforehand? Or why yeah. aren't you like, you know, their numbers are inflated. Their Hall of Fame numbers are inflated. They really shouldn't be in the conversation because they cheated. Or what's the, why is that? Are they why, inflated? I feel the same way you do. I don't know. Man, that's a good question. Are, are, are their Hall of Fame numbers really inflated? Now, inflated in the sense that, you know, did Barry Bonds hitting 73 home runs. Yeah. You know, are they inflated? That's a really good question because it isn't so much, you know, with, with those warning track home runs, did those turn into home runs? Is that why he hit 73? Did he hit, did he hit 20 home runs that were at the warning track that all of a sudden steroid induced went over the fence and turned into 73? I don't know. You know, that's a lot I of felt home like runs. every time he hit one, it was in McCovey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know? well, and number 73 that he hit right here in uh, in Minute Maid Park was yeah. 78 rows into the, into the yeah. second deck. I mean, they were bombs, but. Well, they still talk in Anaheim, the one he hit off Percival. They, I think. Dude, they the one that Tim Salmon, remember that? Oh, yeah. He goes, like, oh. they had Tim Salmon. He goes, that was the farthest ball I've ever seen hit. Oh, that's right. On his, uh, he mouthed it. That's yeah. right. And they still won the World Series. But dude, I mean, every time you go, like I went, I played double A in Memphis and they had a spot where Bo Jackson hit the ball, oh, like his man. first minor league home run. It wasn't that far, but it was like, you know, it's a memorial kind of like, hey, Bo Jackson was in the minor leagues here and he hit a ball up there. I mean, in Anaheim, I think they have the seat where Barry Bonds actually hit the home run. So it's not his home stadium. It's not his home team. Yeah. It's way up. The... <laughs> anyway, but the Free point pop. is, yeah. So I like what you said. I mean, they were always the best player on the field before steroids and after steroids. And maybe that's our answer. But I think the reason they took, I think the reason that Barry Bonds took steroids made him stronger. I think, and he was playing every day and he played in the national league. So he was literally playing every day. The, yeah. And for Roger Clemens, I think it was health. I, I, I would have to ask. Well, he had personally. already been like 16, 17 years in, right? I mean, he ended up yeah. pitching 21 years or yeah. something like that. So it's like, he just you know, wanted to prolong the career. I think so. And, and he was still, and it obviously once you, I, I would imagine once you start on that process and you realize how good you still are, you're mm -hmm. like, dude, I've got to mm -hmm. get back in there and get some more of that. Because I mean, once, you know, if I if I got a sip it's of the like fountain, the fountain of, youth, of youth, baby, yep, that was not pre-planned. Once we got a sip <laughs> of the fountain of youth, I mean, who's to say you wouldn't go back and have a, a big old gulp of that thing? Hey, why do you think we have WSM CBD sponsoring the podcast, baby? The fountain. And we're all of youth. trying to reverse the clock. That's right. We're just trying Start to take those hands and, and turn it backwards. That's right. Focused and strong. So yep. anyway, believe it. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we got on the agenda here, Blummer. I don't know. We pretty much crushed the, uh, I mean, the Rockets. Good God. Oh, I don't know yeah, how much time let's we get got. The, but... Let's give the Houstonians a little something to nibble on, and maybe they'll comment on the podcast. But uh, I think once D'Antoni went, and now uh, I guess uh, who else went before? Did uh, they, they trade? traded Covington. Oh, no, Morey. Daryl Morey. Yeah, Daryl Morey went to Philadelphia. Yeah. He's a commodity, man. He's one of those analytic yeah. guys, too, who kind of brought the uh, – ISO ball to uh, yep. to Houston, but his priority was bringing James Harden into Houston because he felt yeah. he fit the system the best yeah. and paid him a when crap you blow ton of up money. That, but when you blow up Maury and D'Antoni, what's the system? And now what are we doing? And that's that's where we're at, right? I mean, and all of a sudden, Russell Westbrook and James Harden don't like each other. I mean, what? I mean, the, 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 
I, I don't understand basketball. I don't understand how you could have a phenom athlete in Russell Westbrook and be James Harden and be like, ah, I don't want that guy on my team. You know, I, there must be something going on. But what's crazy to me is, the, is that go the, ahead. No, I'm going on until I can. No, no, here we go. Tuttle with his insight. I've got my ear to the ground here, Blummer. Basically, Harden texted Westbrook or called him and goes, Hey, if you tell the media you don't like me and we have this big issue. Like we can separate, like, I mean, I'll go pack my bag. Yeah. It's a conspiracy theory. I mean, I, they played Dude, together in Oklahoma city. How much they? collusion is in, in, the, in basketball? Yeah. I'd say more than any of sport. I mean, LeBron, well, had, the reason uh, it, LeBron had dude. AD on his show, the barbershop show or whatever on HEO. And then the next year it's like, Hey, hey dude, championship this, brother. This is why Harden is asking to go to the nets. Anthony right. Davis going to the Lakers, totally manipulating that whole situation yep. with LeBron to get to LA to win a championship is why okay. James Harden is asking to go to Brooklyn. Yeah. Because I, I, what we've heard reports that over the, whatever this minimal summer that they had, uh, James Harden worked out with Kevin Durant. Yeah. Kevin Durant's in Brooklyn. He's coming off his Achilles injury. Yeah. You know, it's really funny you say that, and this could be a whole nother podcast. You look at the NFL or the Major League Baseball, these other two big sports. Could you imagine the NFL? Like, all right, Tom Brady is like, all right, let's get Gronkowski. Let's get the best defense in the league. Like, you and know, Tony Tampa Brown, Bay. Let's bring him back. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. You, I mean, so they're kind of doing the same thing, but that's only because those guys have, you know, Gronk retired. Antonio Brown is a psycho. Um, Tom Brady's old and Bill Belichick didn't want I mean, like it was a perfect storm in baseball. <laughs> you can't do it. You can use money ball or you can get, you know, there must be some back back, um, backyard meeting where uh, a team would trade Mookie bets to, you know, a high powered team, right? There's been articles about that, but the point that I'm making or that you originally made is in the NBA, we're going to have like three super teams. Like, you know, I mean, like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. There's no and, parody and, at all. There's you saw no the Warriors parody. shut it down. Yeah, they shut it down and they were terrible. It's like, all right, we just want a high pick. So we'll get Clay and Steph back with a high pick. And now we got three dudes. Let's get, uh, you know, let's get yeah, the guy from Minnesota. They picked up Wiseman tonight in the NBA draft. Oh, I didn't watch the NBA draft tonight. Wiseman's going to be a stud. And that's right. what they need. So you got Wiseman, Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson. And then you uh, just add one more piece. Just add one more piece. And now all of a sudden they're a playoff team. Um, the Clippers got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They're going to add another piece and a new coach. They're going to be fantastic. I mean, they might even be the favorites for the championship. I mean, there's going to be six. That might be why Harden wants to go East. He wants to get the hell out of the West, man. Right. But there'll be six teams. And if the Nets do it, the Nets will be like the Milwaukee of the, you know, the East or what, you know, there's always one team in the East. That's like, all right, we'll give them a run. You'll have the Nets. that will have Durant, Kyrie, um and hard possibly right like all right Mm -hmm. and but they won't get along with Kyrie halfway through the year you know (laughs) Kyrie is like a crazy guy he's a flat earther I believe you know well how (laughs) yeah dinosaurs don't exist whatever but you know but the thing that would be fascinating to me to see them I mean the Rockets have a choice to keep them and just say hey play pissed off we don't care or they trade him and try and see what they can get back. But if Harden has been, is would Harden be able to function in Brooklyn when he's been in Houston the whole time? He has set every franchise record. I mean, he is in the top two of 
you know, points, assists, whatever number there is, he is, he has become the franchise of the Houston Rockets right. record books. And now he wants to go to Brooklyn and play with, like you said, Kyrie, who's got a little bit of an ego, Kevin Durant, who learned, I think a little bit with the Golden State Warriors, how to play in a system and be a part of something. Would Harden be able to do that? I have no idea. I mean, he's like you said, he was you brought in by Maury and D'Antoni. I mean, we just don't know. But I think the original point and the original reason we brought up the topic is you said the parody and everything. There's just no parody yeah. in the NBA. And who knows what the offseason and what it's going to bring. But we could have like four super teams when it's all done. And then everybody else just, uh, you know, fighting for second place. And it would leave the Rockets high and dry. If he left, all of a sudden the Rockets oh, would yeah. all of a sudden come back down to the middle. Like you said, the parody would be gone. Yeah. What you about don't think fan- Russ Westbrook would take him to the title by himself? Yeah, all right. Just kidding. Um, yeah. Just kidding. Yeah, bring back uh, Matumbo, bring back uh, <laughs> Yao Ming. Then maybe uh, we might have an opportunity. How about the keen, the dream? What effect does this have on fan bases? Because I'm here in Houston and I'm watching a fan base just be in turmoil, knowing that they're going to trade away their star. But this is going on around. It happened with New Orleans, getting rid of Anthony Davis. It's happening, like you said, in the NFL with Tom Brady moving on, some of these other guys. But uh, is it can't be good for the NBA. Do more fans because of – what did I write down? I said there's no more loyalty, players can demand trades, and fantasy sports. Does yeah. that kind of disintegrate the loyalty and now fans will just cheer for a player instead of a team? You know, I feel that way about the NFL, but I don't so much feel that way having been part of this podcast and watching the Astros so closely uh, Mm -hmm. because you work there for one, for two. My daughter's a huge fan now, and that's part of the podcast. But, you know, I look at the Astros fans on Twitter or any fan on Twitter, and you're like, oh, they just don't care. They don't care if they bang trash cans. They don't care if they did something wrong. (laughs) They don't care. You know, they're more pissed, right? Well, you're going to have that group of diehards that are just ride or die. Yeah, but I think that's what true fans are. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. think – I think what fans want – and I'll just speak from personal experience. I grew up a Warriors fan. I loved Don Nelson. Coach Nelson was great. But, you know, the Warriors were 500 every year. Even when they had run TMC, man, they made the playoffs. But it was like, you know, you had Mullen and and Richmond and those guys. Couldn't through L.A. You couldn't – yeah. Yeah, yeah, you had all those guys, and they couldn't do anything. And you were like, you know – you just want to see the Warriors win. And so no matter how they did it, stack the deck at Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, let's get Durant on the team, Draymond Green, let's get anybody else in there we can because we need to, you know, demoralize the other teams because the Warriors have been middle of the road for so long. I feel like most fan bases would be like that. And honestly, if the Rockets got rid of Harden and Westbrook, but then brought in like, you know, LeBron and AD and a couple other guys in the next year and they won the championship, like, the Rockets are the best. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that has to do with diehards. I really feel like it kind of, you know, this being part of a championship team, like it unifies the city. I mean, oh, Chicago, Chicago waiting for the Cubs to win a World Series with the goat curse and all that. It was like, dude, the White Sox, woohoo! like you mm-hmm. guys were the toast of the town. And I feel like I think most fan bases, yes, we're talking about the diehard fans, but most fan bases just want to see their team in their city. Uh, my mom will text me when the Warriors are up, you know? That's she awesome. lives in the Bay Area still. She's like, the Warriors, yeah, they're one game away from the championship. I'm like, Mom, you do not watch sports. So <laughs> there, there's something to it. 
And yeah. I feel like, yeah, the, the Houstonians, I mean, they've been spoiled a little bit with the Astros and the Rockets have been yeah. good, but you're going to have these ebbs and flows. But I think the Astros, um, sorry, the Houstonians are going to need some overhaul with the Rockets, some overhaul with the Texans. Oh, you, you know. said that dirty word, the T word. Freaking yeah. kidding me. Yeah. The Astros are probably the closest team to bringing you back a championship if they can get they some are. of these guys signed. They, they are, but it's just a shame that you go through these sports cities and you have guys like Deshaun Watson, you had DeAndre Hopkins, you have J.J. Watt, and yet you cannot market these guys and win and go out there and do yeah. things like this. That's what's extremely yeah. frustrating. Yeah. And may, maybe we circle back to the beginning of the podcast and we wrap this up where you have Kim Ng now in Miami. She's the first female hired. We talked about the way the franchise is. Are they going to let her do what her job is to do? Or are they going to meddle and, you know, they have to kind of you intervene? Go, I yeah. know, but I'm just saying that's what we've seen. I mean, Dave Roberts, we, we both know and love. I mean, True. the analytics get in the way. But if, Good you point. know, these guys are like on the bat phone, like, all right, you got to pinch it here. And you're like, I'm going to send I thought email. I was managing the team. Yeah, like, yeah, like <laughs> I, I mean, that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. I mean, you got to let these people do their job and, and, you know, back to what you just said about J.J. Watt and, and um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson and these guys that have been part of Houston, they're superstar athletes. Um, you know, they don't have a good coach and they don't have a GM and the owners, you know, not a good dude either, apparently, um, behind closed doors. It's like, look, you got to hire the right people. My dad's favorite saying was know what you don't know. So great. What that means is get people around you that know what's going on. And let them do their job. Why do you want to know everything and meddle with everything? And that com- comes back to our Tony La Russa thing. Jerry why Jones. Does Jerry, why does Jerry Jones or Jerry Reinsdorf think that they know better than someone like Kim Ng, who's been around the game for 30 years? Hire her, let her do her job. And that should be the way of, you know, kind of any company and any business, right? Nope. You're exactly right. And that pretty much nails it. Just let them do what they're supposed to do. They've earned the right to go out there and do it. So all the best to Kim Ng. We appreciate that. Man, I tell you what, this has been a really good podcast. Yeah. You drank it was actually three, a lot of fun. One, but, you know, it yeah, was but the, ha- the hazies are a big deal now, man. Yeah, they are. You know, that's a whole other situation right there. The hazy IPAs have really become a, a big deal out here in Houston. Obviously, they've infiltrated San Diego out there where you're at, man. Yeah, I always feel like the coasts get things first, but we can argue about that on another podcast. The we hazies, will. like IPAs were a big deal, and then the hazies came out here, and now it's kind of drifting a little bit towards, uh, I don't know, I guess now they're going to do stouts, right? No, I don't Yeah, know. bring the stouts back. But the best part about it is, is that we reap the benefits of them making good beer. <laughs> That's right. That's and all St. Arnold and all the other ones that, uh, that have been a part of this, uh, you know, are uh, are deeply uh, indebted. We're deeply indebted to them. Oh man, so happy. Yes, we are, and All we're right, also de- deeply indebted to those first responders. <laughs> You're tired. I got two hours on you, big boy. But uh, yeah. we are always but you in- sleep in. I do sleep no. in. You're exactly right. I'm not at the gym at six a.m. There ain't no way. But uh, we are greatly indebted to those who go out there and rush into harm's way before we do. That's uh, the frontliners, especially during this COVID era that we are living in. All of you who are continuing to fight the fight against this nasty pandemic. Uh, we're praying for you. We're, we're cheering for you. Remember, we want you to get out uh, the black garb, the black scrubs, play some Metallica, get that vaccine going. 
but uh, also the military across the world and everybody here at home keeping us safe and uh, healthy and allowing us to have the freedom to say what we feel like saying on this Bleacher Blums yeah. podcast. You can catch us on every uh, major podcast uh, platform. And also you can go to uh, YouTube and check us out on the Social Nostra Network. That thing's actually been blowing up pretty good. Over almost 16,000 subscribers to Social Nostra. So don't be left behind. Get on that. Total, what you got? Take us home. Nice. No, I mean, like you said, the freedom is key. And I realize the freedom to open mouth and insert foot is uh, <laughs> it's something that on I realized. This I is number 99. 99. Woo! We should well, we're have at the century mark. So the next podcast, folks, I mean, you are not going to believe it here. No. Um, again, just to, to reiterate what you uh, what you said about the first responders and military around the world, we love the freedom to say as silly of things as we want to say, even if some of them are asinine and uh, stupid. But uh, we're, we're appreciating that you're out there listening and uh, we like these after dark things. So maybe a couple more beers and uh, we'll record another one. But uh, we encourage you folks to get after it and believe it. <laughs>